The Ringer's Dave Hill takes you on a journey into the underground lives and careers of six professional gamblers. This eight-part podcast is a unique look into the gambling world that you don't want to miss. Check out Gamblers on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, Not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to Black on the Air. I am Larry Wilmore, uh, the host. <laughs> I'm in a silly mood today. Uh, we have a really good show coming up uh, later on. I'll be talking to uh, W. Kamal Bell about his show, United Shades of America. But I have a little treat for you before we get to that. My old pal is stopping by to promote the second season of her great Emmy-nominated sketch show, A Black Lady Sketch Show. Robin Thede, welcome to Black on the Air, Robin. Oh, my goodness. You know what? Thank you, Larry. Uh, it's been a minute since I was back. And, you know, I know. you showed again your good taste by having me <laughs> back on your podcast. <laughs> black on my podcast. Exactly. Black on your podcast. <laughs> black on Black on the Air. Congrats, Robin. It's so awesome to see your show back. I, you had... So many fans in that first season. I know everybody was like, where's the show? Where's the show with the pandemic and all that stuff? And I know it was it was funny because everybody was at home for a year and yeah. they they couldn't figure we out we were making yeah. a show. Yeah. I was right. like, we're also what are they home? doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the challenge of uh, when did you guys actually shoot the uh, show? And when did you know you could come back and do it? I mean, it must have been a little Touch, touch and go for a while there. Right? Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. So in uh, so just to back up, we started writing two weeks after season one. And right. No so way. That October, was 2019. 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, right. that was a year. Um, so, right. so October of 2019, we wow. were already back in the writer's room. Yeah. And then so by January. Oh, no. By February of 2020. We uh, were done writing and we went into prep to start shooting. And, and you were going to be you were set to air like the summer of 2020. I yeah, suppose, yeah right? we were going to be right. back on the same right. time. And then uh, March hit and five days before we were going to roll cameras, COVID shut the whole industry down. Five days, five days. So we had rehearsed. Yeah. Our, uh, you know, we had we had already cast Sky Townsend. We have two new featured players this season, Sky Townsend and Lacey Mosley. But we had yeah. already cast Sky Townsend. So she knew since December of 2020, she was on this show. Wow. Quinta Brunson was still on the show. Yeah. And then Quinta's we got great. pushed. Quinta's amazing. And then we it took us six months. So it took us until five and a half, six months. So in August, we we went back to work. And I had to rehire most of my staff because either uh-huh. people didn't want to work during COVID or they sure. had gone on to other shows. 
Right. Um, and Quinta was already shooting, uh, prepping to shoot her pilot for ABC. So she wasn't available. Yeah. Um, so we brought Lacey Mosley in and then we had to, you know, obviously rewrite a lot of things and all the interstitials and a lot of the sketches. Like how much of rethinking went into doing this compared to what you had already written? Well, I would say about 80% of it stayed the same because luckily oh, we write, good. yeah, we write with an evergreen model. The yeah. the issue is that, you know, obviously we didn't want to recast roles that Quinta had originated. So mm. we had to write new characters in some of the sketches. So I would say, okay. you know, that that was a lot. And I only had two weeks to do that with my head writer, Lauren Ashley Smith, because our writers mm-hmm. were already gone and on other shows. Wait, so, wait. So you had so the season that you had already written, you had no writers to come back and redo no, it. It's just you and Lauren. Wow. Just me and Lauren. So um, I rewrote the interstitials in one night. I Mm -hmm. wrote the opening credits in one night. Um, I wrote, uh, I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. I just had to get it done and we had to get back so fast. And then it still took a while to shoot because with COVID, you know, you can't shoot as many hours. You can't have Mm -hmm. as many people on set. Everybody's in PPE. So we started shooting then in October And then we took a big break at the holidays because there was a massive surge, came back January, finished in February. I edited the show for two months and now it's on the air. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Yeah. So I made for six episodes of television. I spent about 19 months working. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're now you're the executive producer, you know, technically that's the head writer as well. For a lot of people that don't know how that works, you know, because you you have to, you know, say whether something goes or not, but you're also in the writer's room too. Yeah. You're not just approving things and you're, you're the star of the show. Like I know we had talked about this before. It was a, it was tough in that first season when you're juggling all those things, just, you know, calming your nerves at a certain point. Did, were you able to have more fun, even though with all the pandemic in the second season or was yeah, it tougher you know, it's interesting. because of the challenges? Yeah. It's interesting because there was so much to worry about with COVID that by the time I started acting, I didn't even have to think about it. Like I was just yeah, like, oh, good, yeah. the fun stuff. So it yeah. was like such an extreme, you know, first season I was worried about my new show, right? Like, oh, well yeah. that wall color isn't right. And that prop isn't right. And that wardrobe doesn't work. And, um, you know, my, I, you know, I have a head writer, Lauren Ashley Smith, but yes, as the showrunner, I am the ultimate voice in terms right. of creativity sure. on the show. And, um, there's so much to think about in the show in terms of creativity that, you have to just focus and do each job well, right? So when I'm show running, right. I'm, I'm laser focused on that. Mm-hmm. When I am acting, I'm laser focused on that. So I really got better at, at compartmentalizing this season, but we had a ton of fun. The other thing we knew was people really wanted to see the show, right? So yeah, we knew it yeah, had yeah. to be funny. We knew it had to be joyful. I really took out anything in the scripts that was too dark or sinister mm-hmm. for, for season yeah. two. Season two is a lot lighter than season one. I just really wanted to make sure that we were giving people the black lady joy, you know, and feeling that on set, too. Because the thing is, I asked 150 people to come back to work during a global pandemic. It's not just the people in the cast, you know, so I we had to have fun and we did. Yeah. And there were so many unknowns about that, still unknowns about COVID and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's scary for a lot of people. But I have to say, and for those uh, for those of you that for some reason have not seen a black lady sketch show, what are you doing? I know. Or yourself, watch the first season and then watch the second season. Here's what I, one of the things I really love about it. There's so many things, but you guys are so absurd. It really, if I, if I have to classify it as one type mm-hmm. of comedy, I put it in the absurdist camp. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I really love about it. You know, I told you before, your roots go back to Monty Python with this type of humor, you know, where you're, it's not straight ahead satire. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, observational comedy. It's 
absurdist comedy, you know, yep. it's, uh, it's, is that accurate? Pretty much what it is. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. Um, it, it, and it is, you're such a student of comedy. I'm always excited when you, when you break Yay. this kind of stuff down, it's always really exciting. <laughs> Cause for it me. excites me. I love to, yeah, me I too. love to see people taking on a different genre, not just trying to be funny, but understanding yeah. what the genre is. Yeah. yeah. Well, my roots, right. My dad named me after Robin Williams. My roots were mm-hmm. in Monty Python, Benny Hill, right. Carol Burnett, and then SNL. And then when in living color came into my life, you yeah. know this. I just it blew me away. Like I had appreciated yeah. comedy before, but I didn't really think that was what I was going to do. Right. And then I saw black people doing it and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, OK. 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 So, you know, I take all of those traditions with me, mm-hmm. you know, and um, everybody from George Carlin to Pryor to Chappelle to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Wayans family to uh, Billy Crystal and Gene Wilder, like all of all of those people. Right. Like right. I. I got to meet Eric Idle and I freaked Ugh. out, you know, yeah, like, so, so I have such a varied interest in terms of the comedy landscape that for me, um, I really wanted to capture that in the show. And it's the biggest compliment yeah. when somebody says to me, this is exactly your humor. Like, no, <laughs> cause I'm no, like, that's that is an amalgamation it. of all the greats. Yes. It is an eclectic palette that is there. It's not, you know, that's what makes, keeps you guessing. It makes it a little unexpected. Yeah. You're not, that's what's exciting about it. You're not sure where it's going to go. You, you never know. You, we don't want people to guess. Yeah, yeah. you cannot predict it. No, you know? every sketch has a twist and even more so this season. We're really yeah. leading into that. We don't want people to be able to guess where we're going. But the absurdist nature of it, you're right, is is what's fun for us. Because, you know, I think the way that black women especially can be yeah. seen as normal three-dimensional human beings. Right. Yeah, is to break out of those stereotypes. So if we right. were just doing straight parody or straight satire, <laughs> then it would right. be parroting the ways that we're seen in a world that centers whiteness, right? So right. when we get to break that free, and the funny thing is, a world where only black women exist seems absurd. You know what I mean? Right. And that's exactly. what's interesting, right? Is that yes. that in and of itself seems absurd, but we want to challenge people to see that as normal. Yeah, so, I love that the black lady is not a political statement. It's an absurdist. Uh, yeah. It's an absurdist swipe on the on the uh, canvas, you know, right. which is nice. You know, um, where do the ideas how does an idea get formed in your writer's room? Like, where do they where do they come from? That That's what I want to know. Like, uh, because just the knowing that that's good and mm, that doesn't make it like how does the how does an idea get get into play there? Well, you know, it's the same way you and I come up with stuff all the time. I mean, people, just, we just start riffing, right? Yeah, we just start yeah, riffing. Yeah. Like somebody has an idea, like Ashley Nicole Black was like, okay, so I have this idea, like all these black women go into a courtroom one at a mm-hmm. time and they start to see that the courtroom, the judge, the bailiff, the stenographer, the lawyers, yeah. they're all, the, the, the defendant are all black women and they cannot, they try to be professional, but right. they can't. But they can't. Because they're funny. just freaking out that this is happening. So we just take those little small moments, right? Like when mm-hmm. two black people see each other in an unexpected space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a moment of like, wait a minute, what's going on? And you kind of drop right. your professional demeanor. So we just take those tiny ideas and blow them out comedically. It's a um, huge extension of the nod. Exactly. That's exactly it. So in the writer's room, a lot of times, like she came with that idea already formed. We didn't really have to grow on it or add to it. But then there's things where I say to the room, I really want to do a really absurdist take on Romeo and Juliet. And I also want to talk about Stan culture. So last year we did a sketch called Roman Jalissa, which was in perfect Shakespearean iambic pentameter, Uh, but was about 
Cardi B and Nicki Minaj stands right. battling <laughs> like the Montagues and the Capulets, you know? So, yes, 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 yes. You know, it's, it's, we try to take these traditional formats that you know and shake them up in a way to tell a modern story or, you know, a modern um, problem that we want to break out comedically. And I, and I, I love your earlier thing where you said you're not trying to be heavy. You're trying to be light. But sometimes, like I remember your first season, you made comments, but they were still clever. Like the uh, mm. the the black spy who was invisible because she was a black woman. I was like, well, wait a second. Yeah, this just is a, plus a brilliant size, idea. Yeah, just a plus yeah. size, normal looking black woman. She's invisible because that's what she is. Because that's what she is. Yeah. yeah. But then the sketch becomes this adventure also like, so it's multi-layered, which is kind of nice. too, Right. Cause who can actually see her? And then her rival takes the form in a second part of this (laughs) beautiful, of the beautiful Asian Naomi King. Then she unzips her suit and she's back to being Nicole Byer, you know, who is the same (laughs) size and um, supposed normalcy face of, of Ashley. But the fun thing is we take Trinity, the invisible spy to another, to a new place. Uh, to a forward moving story in season two that I'm excited for people to see um, in our second episode. And and we move the story forward in, in first season. That's the nice thing about having a serialized narrative sketch show is that we get to go on adventures with these characters and you get to know them. So in season two, what we're going to be able to do is really take the intros. Like we had to just intro people, their games and their lives in season one, but now we get to see, okay, how do they move in this universe? Right. How do they move in this black lady universe? How do they interact with people? So Trinity is going to be on what we think is a part of her personal life. Um, and it'll take a, a, a strange choice quickly. So. Yeah. You have two levels to this show, which, you know, is also different. I'm, my brain is searching right now. I'm trying to think if there was something like this. I don't think so. Where you have this kind of narrative going on of these three, now four women who are together hanging five out. Five now. The, five of you, mm-hmm. if Quinta is, is still part of You know, the first one, they're in this apocalyptic scenario, supposedly, mm-hmm. but they're just, we see them in an apartment or somebody's house or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now, there's a twist on that. I'll let you guys see it or whatever. But yeah. there's still there's still the story of them together, which is not necessarily a jumping off point for the sketches or it, it, it like not in the traditional sense where it's like what we're doing right now is kind of no. thematic for what you're about to right. see. They're kind it's of not, hey, welcome lanes. to the sketch. Oh, here's yeah. your next sketch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that. Y'all right, give it up right, for right. another sketch about, <laughs> yeah. you know, yams. Right. It's like, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, yeah. yeah, what we wanted to do with the interstitials is essentially frame a world where Mm -hmm. these black women exist out of that, these sketches can live. So it's, it's a loose, you know, they're not, there's no direct connection. Like you said, it's not like Mr. Show where the sketches just instantly go in from the interstitials, but Mm -hmm. um, it's just a, it's a landing pad for everyone between sketches to get to know these characters and to get into the minds of normal, modern black women in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'll see the season starts to shrink upon itself. Mm. Um, and some of the, some of the sketches will make more sense with what's going on with the interstitials. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Before I forget, I have to say, uh, I saw the premiere, uh, last night. It was Robin. I'm laughing so much. And, and I <laughs> told you before the teaser really made me laugh. So I was looking forward to the first episode, but there's so many amazing lines in that first it's joke episode. after joke. I told people it's, the joke density this season is off the charts. It's crazy, but I have to say one of my favorites. Uh both my knees and my titties <laughs> underwater. 
Yeah. The whole, uh, the whole joke can, is I wanted to have a, all I wanted to have was a bathtub where both my titties and my knees can be underwater at the same time. At the same, I never mm-hmm. heard like a reference mm-hmm. like that. That is Ashley a, Nicole Black. That, that is a wish to joke. have the titties and knees under the water. She said, she said she saw a tub at Oprah's house that was so big. <laughs> she was like, I bet my knees and my titties could be underwater at the same time. Oh my God, that is a she, funny reference. That's her joke. And it's such a good joke. And that observation is just hilarious. Yeah, they're real, but they're descriptive. And when you think exactly. about it, you're like the genius. They're so specific. And that's so what I love specific. about it. You know, and uh, it fits in that world just perfectly. <laughs> but you you guys have so many gems like that, you know, uh, that so are just uh, these observational, <laughs> really funny. Mm-hmm. And that's what I made absurd is at the same time, you know. Let me ask you this. How, does, how do you um, get the balance between, like, these characters that you guys are establishing in your sketches versus just conceptual ideas? Like... Where it's like, okay, should we be doing keeping these characters alive? Uh, But this conceptual thing is really funny, which really doesn't need any characters. It's just a concept, you know? Right. So that's like first season purgatory soul food. You really don't remember many of the characters names except maybe the drink lady. But like the concept of that was the sketch. So we really very bizarre sketch, by the way. Very Very bizarre. Yeah. Very bizarre. Which is why I loved it. But I had I still don't know what that means. That sketch. I have no idea. Um. To me, it's, Rob, just, it's, it's what I love about Robin Thede yeah. is I watch that and I go, I have no idea what Robin is up to, but she's making me laugh as I'm watching. <laughs> when I tell you the first season, we had a joke where we said a dude had a Flintstone dick and people were like, I don't know what it means, I have but no it idea. makes me laugh. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was like, hey, if you think about it, you know what it means. Does that um, mean but, his balls have to get out and run like, no. like it's the car or something? <laughs> you had to use your feet to make it work. Like, <laughs> yes, you know, he had to I mean. use the, yes, yeah, so you exactly. have to put your feet on the dick before it'll get hard. That's exactly. the very, very blunt description right <laughs> um yeah no so we have three types of sketches so i've never broken this down before literally oh, good. black on the there air exclusive go. let's do so it so we have three types of sketches on the show okay. we have character driven sketches character driven. we have yep. conceptual sketches and we have situational sketches so what that oh, means is interesting the comedy engine right the thing mm-hmm. that drives the funny and that and from whence all jokes flow will be either driven by the character the concept or the situation so the difference between the concept and the situation is that the concept is like the fog in season one, which was um, two black women who are actually skin cells on an ashy arm are running <laughs> through what we see as a forest and they get consumed by smoke. But we realize when we pull out that it's just the ash on a black woman's arm that is consumed and they are skin cells. So that, that Robert, is a wait, weird. Wait, wait. <laughs> no, 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 no. Please repeat that sentence. <laughs> I want people to hear. This is what I mean by absurdist comedy. It's very that absurdist. A, that is a beautiful sentence. Yeah. As far as I'm Two concerned. black women who yes. are actually skin cells on skin a black woman's cells arm. On a black woman's yeah. arm. Are running yes. through a forest. You think they're trees, but it's really arm hair. But no. And trees the, are uh, actual arm hair. Yes. Yep. And a fog consumes them. A fog consumes them. We zoom them. out and we realize yes. that a black woman who is scratching her ashy arm just needs to put on lotion and the fog that consumed them was the ash on her arm and they were the skin cells. This is like um, a Salvador Dali. You it know, really, painting. it's yeah. a, a it's real Dali-esque. mind bender. Yeah. yeah. And I will say first season, we experimented with a lot of that stuff. Season two, we wanted to make it a little more straightforward, but there are definitely yeah. conceptual sketches. And then situational is black lady courtroom. You may not know any of those names of those characters, but the mm-hmm. situation that they walked into is going to drive all of the funny. Um, right. And then the the character driven ones are the Dr. Hadassah 
sketches, the Trinity sketches, the, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the Chris sketches, you know, those are the ones I write mostly. Um, although this year I wrote our second black lady courtroom sketch. Um, mm-hmm. and then, and then some sketches will, will have an A and a B they'll be character driven, but also have a really interesting concept or situation. So, you know, that's how we really categorize them. And it really helps our writers hone in. It also helps me create a good mix throughout the season so that mm-hmm. it's not just like, you know, character, 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 because that can wear on you too. You know, sure. it's like, I love homie, the clown, but I, I want to watch other things in an episode of in living Trust color. Me. You know? Having, yeah. having written that stuff, it's hard when you have to keep coming up with another yeah. situation for it, another situation. Yeah. yeah. And we don't want anything to get old. Yeah. So putting them in different types of concepts is just as fun as putting them in different situations. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. have a favorite right now? Is it, is it Dr. Has- what is her name again? Dr. Hadassah Olienka, Dr. Hadassah. Youngman pre-PhD. Yeah. <laughs> that is my favorite right now. Well, you love anything with a long name, like Blue Jasmine Steeplechase. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. But I, it's something about her eyes. There's something about her eyes that make me laugh, you know. Where yes. Well, she doesn't uh, really blink. Yeah. And she's not kidding around either. Yeah. No, there is yeah. nothing but but uh, militant energy yeah. shooting out of her laser eyes. She yeah. doesn't blink. Right. Um. Oh, God, I can tell you about all sorts of physicalizations <laughs> that we do with these characters. Somebody peeped them in one of the reviews this season, which I really appreciated. Um, and she said that Chris is slack jawed and he never opens his mouth or never closes his mouth. And I was like, thank God somebody finally noticed, like, that's how I create that character. My face looks really different. Well, I have a beard on one, but like, I just never close my mouth. Um, and little, th- you know, little things like that make a character Absolutely. so distinct. It's just Absolutely. tiny things you have to do. Gabrielle Dennis has an amazing character that I won't spoil, but this new season that only shows her top row of teeth. Yeah. And it is the creepiest. <laughs> yeah. It's the, and you would think that just sounds like a smile. Yeah. It, no, the, what it does to her face is insanely funny. She's really breaking out as one of the more uh, astute physical comedians I've seen Absolutely. in a while. Her, Absolutely. What, what she can do with her body, you know, just to get wait. a laugh is just fantastic. You don't even know what you're in for in season two. I mean, she did a whole round off at the end of Black Lady Courtroom last night or in yeah, the first yeah. episode. Yeah, I saw crazy. that. It was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, many times in the past, we've had uh, all male uh, sketch troops, all white male, I should say, you know, and, sure. uh, you know, even the Pythons, you know, a lot of the funny stuff that they did was when they did women's roles. You know, yep. the Pythons probably did that the best. I love it when you guys play men. It is one of the funniest <laughs> thing because your take on it is hilarious. When you did the guy group in the first season. Oh, Motown Meltdown. Yeah. yeah. Clubbing the boppers. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was so fun. That yes. was so fun. Do you do you enjoy doing that type of thing? Uh, going into the uh, thinking about gender in different ways as well? Absolutely. And we're doing that mm-hmm. more this season. Um, yeah, we love it. And I feel like we shine in those roles because yeah. your gang um, initiation was great too. For that, yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> but, yeah. I think, I think for us, um, especially playing like men or aliens or vampires or zombies, anything that you can fully immerse yourself in. So mm-hmm. when we're playing other women characters, it's always like, okay, you got to really know that character. You got to really put her yeah. in your body. You got to know what her voice sounds like. And for the others, I think for us, it's a little easier to make those transitions actually, because Mm -hmm. you just, um, you have to let go of everything that's you. You just have to let go of everything that's you. And so if you've done the character work, it's pretty easy to transform. I mean, easy, right? I'm talking about women working at the top of their game, but you know, for us. 
Well, what's interesting, what's funny is that women doing men is funnier now than men doing women because we haven't seen women's observation of men as much. No. You know? And exactly. their observation of men is hilarious. Like and you see Kate McKinnon and Saturday Night Live and some other. So good. So many of the women now in SNL are doing male roles, which I think is fantastic. You I know, because their take is just a little different. You know, their observation of that is hilarious. Kate McKinnon's um, Rudy Giuliani is so bizarre. Uh, it's the, it, it, it's just so good, but yes, it's it very it. bizarre, but it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And you're right. The POV just shifts so much. It's, it's so fun. Yeah. I think we'll probably be seeing more of that. Uh, did you have any uh, favorite stuff that didn't make it in uh, the season that you could talk about because it didn't get in any, you know what the great part is mm-hmm. we have so many outtakes, our directors, Lacey Duke and Brittany Scott Smith this season, who we love. Yay, Brittany. Um, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Allowed for so much improv yeah. um, that we have an, a huge excess of outtakes. And for us, yeah. we don't really do bloopers because people don't right. really break. Our guest stars do. But well, as yeah. a cast, we don't really <laughs> like to waste a lot of time breaking. Um, but um, and by breaking, for those that don't know, it means laughing while someone else is doing a line. Um, good, hence, breaking the take, breaking the film back in the day. Um, breaking bad. Breaking up. Uh, uh, whoa, no, no, no one's breaking, breaking bad on our set, Larry. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> we have that reference this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so we have we have so many outtakes that we're actually yeah. putting them out. If you watch on HBO Max, you can uh-huh. watch the outtakes in the episode, and then there's a separate link for more outtakes. So oh wow, because at the end of the episode, I noticed on HBO, there's already outtakes. Yeah, and then funny. we have a whole separate produced piece every week that's, oh, that's great. more outtakes. Yeah. So hopefully people will discover that. I keep telling people, but they don't listen to me. Um, but they, they're they out there because we just have such a surplus. So no, not a lot of stuff fell on the cutting room floor. Like we get to put a lot of stuff in and we're using all the sketches we shot. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, Robin, congratulations. Uh, you, yeah. you know, in a time when, you know, we've all gone through a lot, you know, we've from, you know, the world to personally, Oof. you know, and to bring all this kind of laughter and joy, I don't, you know, not to sound sappy, but, you know, I just am so proud of you. And it's just so great, the stuff that you're doing. And and I know you're you're just blowing up all over the place. You, your company, you have a deal with Warner Brothers, I believe, over there. Yeah. What are some of your plans for the future? What types of things are you looking to do uh, with running your own company now? Yeah. So I have a company called for better words. I love Um, that name. It's great. Married to my job. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, we have a deal at Warner brothers. We just announced um, a new feature um, at Amazon. So this isn't a part of the TV deal, but through my production company, we're doing Mm -hmm. a a zombie action comedy at um, Amazon (laughs) called killing it, which is essentially Shaun of the dead meets girls trip for black women who dropped out of Spellman, which is very rare. Most women do not drop out of Spellman. Uh, That's why they became zombies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they're just losers and they right. and they go back to prove that they're not. And on the way, Atlanta gets overrun by zombies and they are tasked with saving themselves. Oh, and saving that's the world. great. So oh, it's really that. great. It's for black women ill equipped to fight zombies. And I think that's so funny because we don't have the grace to be bad at things. And I yeah. love that these four black women are not good. They're not yeah. like, people are like, yes, they're going to be like superheroes. And I'm like, they're no. not ghostbusters. Yeah. I said Shaun of the dead. I did not say walking dead, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that. But on the TV side, we have a bunch of announcements coming out. I can't say yet, oh, but very so soon exciting. we have a bunch yeah. of announcements coming out, but we obviously have the sketch show. 
Um, and in the next month, we're going to be announcing two new projects that I'm really, really, really excited about. So very exciting. Yeah. And we'll see you more in front of the camera as well, too, in different types, like in acting roles and things like that. Yes, I do have more acting things coming up. And the the exciting thing is for me, you know, I just really want to continue to upend these traditional narratives of Great. what we can do. Because yep. I just think that, you know, no one thought that a black lady sketch show would be a thing until it was a thing. Right. So, you know, I think we can continue to do that across genres. I did. No. I know. No, you did. Please. I saw Elite Delta Force and I was like. This needs to be on television. Well, and that's what's great. And this show is not that, obviously, but like, but But it was the seeds. Yeah. Black women together. But you know, I started performing with black women back at Second City when I was 19 years old. And then EDF3. And then I went on with Holly Walker to do a a black woman show. And then I did 227, the lost episodes. Like, like, I've been performing with black women for 20 years. And I was like, TV needs this. TV needs this. You know, I agree. I'm so happy. Uh, Robin Thede, it's a black lady sketch show, you guys. It's on HBO Friday nights, Robin. At- Friday nights at 11 and streaming on HBO Max at the same time or anytime all week. Don't wait to binge it. Watch it now and do not skip the opening credits. Right. Uh, they are new this season and they may or may not have some prize- surprises in store week to week. Oh, some Easter eggs after Easter. That's nice. <laughs> and good luck with the upcoming award season. Uh, we'll be... Uh, We'll be rooting for you out there. Thank you, Larry. And, you know, Larry, just truly just keep going at what you're doing someday. Um, you know, you too can get a TV show on the air. Someday I may I may make it, you know, I'll be able to go to some of your parties and that kind of stuff. You never know. Listen, Larry, when you get your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, please invite me because I want to be there cheering loud as fuck and I want to embarrass you. And I want to oh, just be God. like, he's my hero. Um, no, no I'm just I'm just thrilled to talk to you as always. And, and as always. And I have to say, just so you guys know, like I love talking to Robin. Right. But Robin and I, our conversations will always devolve into the absurdity, too. And I'll, I'll just say this one thing, if I can share, Robin, we were at a restaurant. Was it your birthday or it was something we were celebrating? I, can't I don't even remember. know what story you're about to tell. I can't remember. I'll but correct whatever you if was, you get to it. Okay. We're waiting to get seated. And <laughs> I just said, okay, Robin, here's the premise. <laughs> so it just starts. That's how the conversation started. I said, here's the premise. You can't, if you stop talking, you're going to oh, blow yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you stop talking, you'll die. And so for yeah. the rest of the night. <laughs> it was like, I, have to keep talking. I said, your body is like the bus on speed. If yeah. you stop talking, you know. You will blow up. You know, it was hilarious. And, and then we just, just did that bit all night. The oh, waiter would come over and night. I would just talk crazy. over him and I'd be like, oh, do you have steak? Yeah, I'll take a steak. You know what? Never mind. I'll get a taco. Okay. And then the, the waiter's she like, She committed oh. to it the whole night. To complete guys. strangers who had no idea yeah, we were doing a bit. Go. That's, That's the best Robin Thede. That's why she's brilliant. Robin Thede, you guys, Black Lives Catch Thanks again, Robin. Thanks, Larry. 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 <laughs> okay, Larry. we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? running between meetings, maybe a getaway with the whole family. Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, man, such I'm very excited about the show this week. Um, as I said before, this guy has been doing this show for a few years, and wow, I mean, he's just been doing so many great stories. 
And you could tell by his expression all the time. I think he really enjoys this, this line <laughs> of work. Uh, we're excited to have W. Kamau Bell on the show. And his United Shades of America on CNN returns uh, this Sunday night, or your past Sunday, it returned last Sunday night. Welcome to, this, welcome to Black on the Air, Mr. Bell. I'm, well, I'm excited to be here, uh, Larry, because I, I feel like, I don't know if you were aware of it, but we had a lightweight beef for a moment, and now I'm excited to squash the comedian beef. Yeah. That, all right. Well, let's start with that then. Uh, there was a little bit of a, of a beef there. It was just uh, my brand loyalty. It wasn't anything more than that. I remember that. I think uh, you were on Colbert and mentioned yeah. that that somebody wasn't funny or well, something yeah. like well, that. That was and after like, you. <laughs> I don't I don't remember slamming you at all. No, but I was at that point. I was pretty new to CNN. So I, was, I just right. wanted to. You I were just protecting to, your boys. I was, I was protecting my boys. But yeah, it was. And but also. You're, you're a comedian. You have to protect comedy. <laughs> but also. You protect it was comedy first. It was also. But it was also the. the if I, I if I had been on like like the like Fallon, it, the joke wouldn't have made sense. But to be on Colbert. Yeah. You're talking about the show that his show used to follow, The Daily Show. I right. felt like if I'm really a comedian, this may be this may be too far, but it's also like I have to cross this line. And, just, and OK, go ahead and say what you said. Oh, yes. I said I remember when the, we talked about because uh, he asked me about you at right. the at the at the press White thing, House correspondence dinner. Press correspondence. And I said something effective. I rem- he said I said Larry Wilmore says he remembers when CNN used to have news or whatever, used to be yes. good. And I said, I remember when the show following <laughs> The Daily Show used to be funny. Is what wow. I said. <laughs> Such a shame. I think The Nightly Show Black is very funny. I have many friends who were on that show who, yeah. I, so yes, it was just, it oh, was really. It crushed like that us. Mo- <laughs> like yeah, this, really brother, <laughs> this brother even goes on a white show <laughs> and is saying that the black late night show on television is not funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like I said, it was really just like, it, here's the thing about, and you know this as a comedian, sometimes you're like, man, this may be fucked up, but I kind of want to see if I can say it and see what happens. So All that's right. what that was. Now, I will say, I had some jokes in response, but I held back. Okay. I didn't fire, but I could tell you what my favorite one was. Okay. <laughs> I would say, oh, come on, man. Come on, Bill. Can't even get lynched at a Klan rally. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's a- See, come on. See? Man, you know. Come on. And, like it's- and, and that was true. You were at a Klan rally and you did and not get, get lynched. lynched. That's that's a good that's a good scene. You can't you're- get lynched at a Klan rally. I mean, you're- you're- I know you got this. I know you're uh, I know you got the skills. <laughs> See, and let me be clear. Anytime anybody like asked me about it again, I didn't get- I didn't go back in and double down. I was just like, yeah, that's what I said. You know, well, so come on. Was- let me say this as an olive branch i've always been a fan of yours i loved your show totally biased i know you do with my buddy chris rock i thought it was great it was brave it was so spartan you know its approach <laughs> it you was know, i'm being kind you know but i i know the obstacles you had in trying to do that you know and i gave you a lot of credit for that so well i appreciate that i was a, it was, i was a canary in the late night coal mine yes <laughs> and, I, and i feel like if in, any, if, if in any way you know the thing that I always said after the show was like, if I had only been able to go to John Stewart University the way that everybody else did who got those shows after me, <laughs> I feel like I probably would have been able. I went to Chris Rock Community College, which was great. 
That's but, hilarious. Uh, John Stewart University set a lot of people up. And I was like, man, if I'd only had a year, <laughs> like, I might have been able to. The Chris Rock Community College is pretty strong, though. I mean, Wanda Sykes came out of there. Louis C.K. came out of there. No, the, yeah, so, the Chris Rock Community College yeah. has done well for me. Absolutely. There's no question. I w- I'm not saying I would have chosen one. I would have gone right. to Chris Rock Community College. <laughs> and then gone to John Stewart <laughs> Finished U. up at John Stewart <laughs> University. And, you know, I'd still be on air as Totally Biased right now. So, yeah. No, no I certainly. I, don't know. I think there's forces. People don't realize. There's other factors in showbiz that have nothing to do. Like you're maybe attacking what the show is, but I don't think you should. There's nothing wrong with your show. Sometimes it's hard to get attention at certain platforms, you know? No, for me, it was just like, I, it was, I, I put it all on me. That's why I say the Chris, the Chris Rock and John Stewart thing is like, I just didn't have enough reps as the host of a TV show or being on camera even to even hold my to hold my part of it down. So like I understand. I said, now I will counter this. See here, I'm defending you. And all right. See, this is that. But if you look at Conan O'Brien, Conan O'Brien had fewer reps than you had. He wasn't even a stand-up comic. But that's NBC true. left that show yep. on. Yep. That's, and yes. Conan, it took three years for Conan to really get comfortable. Yeah. You know, yeah. Seth Meyers. It took Seth a good two years for him to really find his rhythm on his show. You know. No, uh, no, there's absolutely, you know, systemic racism. I had a year and a half and I was gone. <laughs> no, <laughs> after we, a year and a half, I felt really like, yeah. you know, okay, I feel in the groove now. You know, this yeah. feels good, you know, of what we're doing. It takes a while to get comfortable in that format, you know. Yeah, and I really feel like I was we should have we were we started out once a week, and if we had stayed once a week, I think at that point they didn't feel like that you could make an impact once a week. And then oh, later yeah, yeah, yeah. John Oliver came behind us and was like, Oh no, you right. can't if yeah, it's a good can. once a week, yes. you can really do it. <laughs> yes, motherfucker, you can do it. Yeah. So yeah, but a lot yeah, of I think lessons when, learned. We went to daily, it just wasn't it just, you know, it just crushed me and us and broke a lot of friendships up and left me bitter. And then I said that thing about you on uh the Colbert show. There you go. There you yeah. see you guys now know that I'm the bigger person. Everybody yes, now that's knows that. I mean that's <laughs> <laughs> And I always, always you know, yeah, and I feel like always punch up, don't punch down. That's why I never punched back. (laughs) (laughs) Always be punching up. You did it proper. You you punched up. So I think you're still, I think you're, yeah, I I feel like I'm still getting, I thought we were settling the beef. (laughs) We did. You punched up. That that was completely understandable. I get it. I did not want to punch down. So there was no need for me to come (laughs) back. Like I said, I appreciate it. But I definitely like coming on today. I was like, I want to make sure we talk about this. I don't want to act like it didn't happen. And I uh, I appreciate that. And I've always been a fan of your work too. So that's why it was like, it was just one, basically it was that little comedian in my brain that was like, this may be fucked up, but that's why you're a comedian. There's certainly like, I don't have any sort of continual beef with you. (laughs) No, no, of course not. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate jokes at my expense. Absolutely. Uh, His name just blanked, but uh, Triumph the dog. Triumph uh, the insult comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he came on my show and he was just slamming our show and slamming me. <laughs> and I found that so hilarious. It was so funny, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't mind jokes at my expense. It's all good. Um, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about your show, uh, United States of America. You coming back. This is your fourth fourth season? No, uh, this is Fifth our season? sixth season. Oh, six. It's hard to count with the pandemic. I mean, we, we, we lost that a year. year. Yeah, it's, we have oh, eight okay. episodes a Got year, it. so it, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's if we were a real show, it'd be our second season. But uh, yeah, right, that's CNN budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The CNN budget looks better than the FX budget, though, with all the places you're going. Yes, I mean, yeah, that's oh. a certainly. There's certainly, a, and every year we've we've uh, you know we've pushed that CNN budget and stretched it. Uh, although this year we had to spend a lot of it on masks and COVID tests. Right. But, remember, D.L. Yeah. Hughley had a show on CNN. I know. Try, that, remember I mean, that? Yeah. 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 No, I was I was the mm. next comedian to follow D.L. Hughley at CNN, and also this is a weird thing. The same guy who was the showrunner on Totally Bias was the showrunner on DL Show, and he hired me and my friend Kevin Avery to work on the DL Show, and then it got canceled. Yeah. So I was yeah. always destined to work at CNN. Yes, I guess so, yeah. Uh, so, and your first episode is about policing, which is, man, yeah. couldn't yeah. be more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I was going to say, you know, did you plan that? But then you think about it, it could have been released any week and it would have said like, man, how did I, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, was, I emailed my boss at CNN a couple weeks ago. I was like, because the episode's done, obviously. And I'm like, we should just drop it now like a Beyonce album. <laughs> like, we should just right. like, sort of, like, don't like, even say anything. Right? Yeah, just sort of like, it's here. But right. uh, they said no. But um, I mean, think about it. Last year when we were getting ready to do this season, it was in the midst of George Floyd. And so it felt like, well, we have to do an episode about policing we just didn't, you know, but we couldn't predict when the trial was going to happen. We couldn't. We also would not have predicted Dante Wright and all these other people who've been killed by police since then in the last two days, basically. I would so, argue yeah. you, you that could be a prediction. <laughs> well, yeah, we, yeah. we couldn't have predicted the names. <laughs> yes. I guess the I, names. Yes, correct. Correct. Yes, not yes. That, certainly that it happened. Yes. And, you know, also it, made, it was a big deal because we filmed it mostly in Oakland where I live. And this is really one of the hubs of the defund the police movement. So I was like, not only like, I know a lot of people who will have things to say about this. And it's also not that it's any big news, but the Oakland police and the police in the surrounding area are filled with scandals. So yeah, it's a also, long yeah. history, a yeah. long history there, which you yeah. cover some of that too on the episode. Uh, how long ago did you guys uh, record it? Uh, that would have been like late August, early September. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, a long Lead, uh, lead up to when you're airing these things. Is that usual? Do you have that type of time? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it uh-huh. is usual. I mean, so yeah, there is, I mean, the, you know, as a comedian, I would like to sort of keep the edits open until they air, but that's right. not how it works. So, right, right, right. But I do, we do work hard to make it as, as current. And it was like sort of in two things, one telling sort of getting the history of it, but also using whatever current new stuff we can, because it always makes people feel like it, like it's ripped from the headlines and then it just happened and makes it more relevant. So but yeah, no, it's, I mean, right now we're editing three episodes that will air this summer when the show, when they come out, but you know, and, and so I'm always like looking for things at the very last minute to put it in, to make things feel mm-hmm. more relevant. Both, cause, both current and topical. At yes. The same yes. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like what was your agenda going in? Were you, cause your show has, it feels like you're in a conversation with America, let's say, yeah. you know? And you even say that, hey, I'm not an expert. I'm just having a conversation. You know? <laughs> That's my, I hide behind that all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you also take the position of kind of instructor at the same time, or yeah. at least there is an agenda. What was your agenda with this particular episode? Because, you know, it's coming off the heels of yeah. the George Floyd video way before the trial and all that. Yeah, so what was yeah. your agenda going in? I mean, really, the core of this was like having been a person who when i'm when i moved back from new york to the bay because i've lived out here for more than 20 years except for the two or three years we were in new york um coming back to the bay area so this is like 2014 first then hearing about defund the police being a person who was like my stars defund the police oh my Uh lord why would we do that even though i'm aware of police brutality and police violence against black Uh folks but i was afraid of it having been sat down by those activists and explained what it meant 
I was very aware that the reaction that people were having in 2020 and 2021 about the fund, the police. Oh, I know what that is. I already had that. So I feel like I'm in a pretty unique position to go, look, I understand why you're worried about this, but let's explain what this is. And let's do a deep dive on why this would need on, on policing in a way that is not just like that really explains all like several different levels of corruption. So it's not like we're not just talking about the cop who shoots the person. We're Mm -hmm. talking about levels of corruption beyond that. So for me, it was like, I know the people who are freaking out about defund the police. I also know who CNN's audience is. So I know that's a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. Let me help walk you through this. So at least the next time you have a conversation about it, you can know what you're talking about. Okay. So now when you say freaking out about defund the police, that sounds like a very specific point yeah. of view. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. So, so you feel that, you wanted to have people not freak out about hearing this term about the and, subject, just about here. Yeah. But hearing the, I hearing the phrase defund the police causes people. And like I said, I'm owning my, my own freak out in this to just uh-huh. sort of like, Oh my word, you know, like the old red Fox, like uh, why I never, you know what I mean? So <laughs> to me, it was like, uh, I understand where you're coming from. And in the episode I say, I've been there too, but at least let me explain it to you and why you, why people would have this idea that this would be a thing we needed to do so that, the way I feel like this, all I'm trying to do is make people's, I used to say dinner party conversation better, but we're not really doing that anymore, but their Facebook comment threads better. <laughs> so that if somebody says defund the police, you can say, oh, I saw this show. Do you know this is what it means and where it comes from? Right. So that's what I'm getting to. So your idea was to uh, explain this rather than maybe get both sides of this issue, right? Yeah. I, I mean, like we said, mm-hmm. we... Like all police departments every day of the week can hold a press conference and get the news's attention. You know, and we also did an episode in season one where we actually talked to police officers in Camden, New Jersey about community policing. So we have done a police episode where we sat down with cops and and heard their perspective. This time it was really like I was trying to be we were trying to be hyper focused on this part of it because it's only 42 minutes. And, I, and when you say I feel like when we say you know, both sides, I feel like, well, no, the police have access to the the megaphone. And I feel like with my show, generally, it's more exciting for me to give people the megaphone who don't get the megaphone. And I certainly know that, like, when I put Kat Brooks in there, who's a well-known Oakland activist, but she's not nationally known, or I put my friend Pastor Michael McBride on there, who's a who's a national activist, but not nationally known, who works all over the country, that I'm giving the micro- megaphone to people who are like, who are able to talk about it and are doing the good work and also are able to talk about it in a way that is not necessarily going to make you, it's not going to keep, hopefully not keep you in the freak out space. Oh, you said this started like in 2014, this idea. Uh, the, when Oakland, I first heard about it, it started first before that. It. Yeah, what, yeah. what were the origins of this type of idea of taking money out of this to give it to that, as opposed to just allocating money for something like to me, it's like, I mean, you could just give money to black communities. I mean, I don't know if it, I don't know if it requires taking money from someplace. Well, like, I think I think these man, are all. Yeah. I think it's like we're talking about. These are all like multiple conversations. I think the same mm-hmm. people wanted to fund the police are off. I'm not going to say 100, percent but are often also fans of reparations. So I don't think these are all separate. <laughs> these are all like mm-hmm. you know separate issues. I think the fund the police is really about how cities spend their budget money. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily about how black people get to equity and justice in the world or how people or how black people are made whole for slavery. It's about specifically, it's about, and that's why I think it's funny as we say in the episode, it's an accounting, it's an accounting issue. It's about like cities have a certain amount of money, which we all know cities, cities can't print money. Our government can, but cities have a certain amount of money and they have to figure out what they spend that money on. And when you look at a city like Oakland, 
where like I think it's like 50 percent of our municipal fund is spent on policing. But then you look only four percent of calls to police are for violent crimes. And you look at the other things that are on that list, you go, these are all things that police aren't good at. These are things that police don't have training for. And like, for example, Dante Wright getting issued a traffic ticket in Brooklyn Park. The fact that a cop is involved with that raises the stakes with for Dante about what's going to happen here, which maybe affects his behavior. Whereas if somebody handles traffic stops who is not considered to be an armed arm of the law, they just go, here's your traffic ticket. Here's your thing going your way. It will that then that situation gets handled more effectively. Think about Makia Bryant. If they if. If Makia, if where Makia Bryant lives, she was in foster care. If the foster care system is more fully funded, maybe and there's more. This counselors is the uh, person who who uh, had a knife. She had a knife recently. Was, yeah, she was shot by a police officer. Right. I can't remember what city is is because there's so many. I think things it's are Columbus. I think Columbus. It's Columbus. Columbus. Yeah. Yes. So mm-hmm. if if you look at that situation, and she had a knife, and she's about to stab the girl, and the cop shoots her, and people are saying, mm-hmm. "Well, that's a quote unquote good shooting because she was about to stab a girl." But if oh, you look at yeah. the whole, I don't, I don't know if good. I'm saying that's. It's an unfortunate. It's an unfortunate. It's totally unfortunate. Yeah. It's not good mm-hmm. to me. But the idea being that, like, because she was about to stab somebody, the cop shoots her and saves the other, and potentially Correct. saves the other person's life. Correct. That's a good shooting. But if you look at the whole system and go, "Well, wait a minute." Is the foster care system funded well? Do they have enough counselors? Do they have enough resources? Mm-hmm. Maybe if you take money out of the police budget and put it in the foster care system towards all those things, maybe that knife never gets in her hand. But do we know why there is a beef since we're talking about beefs? I mean, like sometimes I think some of this thinking kind of erases human behavior. You know, like if there's if there's a better foster care system, people aren't going to fight. No, no, no. But it's like it's not about like a race. Like how does how does how does how would that money prevent this? We don't know if that prevents like people fighting or getting upset with each other. Right. No, no, we're not. We're not trying to we're not trying to prevent human behavior, but we are trying to look at at where the money is spent and how the money can be spent more effectively. To me, this is like actuarial tables. Like This is like my dad. Like I said, my dad was in insurance. So Uh you go. There's certainly lots of research that says the more money, for example, the more money you spend on education, the less money you have to spend on incarceration. Uh-huh. Like if you spend more money on educating kids, then you're breaking up the school to prison pipeline. Or if you educate kids better. Yes. However, right. yes. Yes. Right. But a lot of that takes like, for example, it takes spending more money. It takes spending money more effectively. So you can look at like, there's the, like, you can look at like public schools in the suburbs and look at public schools in the inner city. And you might find that in the suburbs, they're spending less money on kids per kid than they're spending in the city. But it's also because in the city, they have to spend more money for things. So, for example, the public school in the suburb doesn't have to do lunch, doesn't have to do breakfast programs. So to me, it's like sometimes it's not about the amount of money. It's about how the money is being spent and also recognizing that you can't always go. We are spending the same amount on every kid or or we're spending one hundred dollars. more. It's about like, what do these kids need here versus what do these kids need there? So I. I feel like sometimes it can be not to argue your point or anything. I, it can be a bit problematic to me to link money directly to these types of incidents. Um, I don't know if they're correlated in the same way that a lot of people are saying there. I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's do that. And let's see what happens. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you know unfortunately we live in a capitalistic society. <laughs> so like, so why is that saying, unfortunate? Well, in a society that value that places, more value on 
on money that it does on people. And so I say this, like, I, I'm not anti-capitalism, uh, but I am saying that, like, the way in which our American capitalism works, like, for example, we're doing an episode about economic disparity right now. There are other countries that are capitalistic countries that look at us and go, wait a minute, you're saying in America, you can have citizens who can go broke because they educated themselves? Because they spent money on higher education? Or you can say in America, there are people who can go broke because they had a medical bill, <laughs> you know? Whereas other capitalistic countries, people don't have medical bills. And education is, is education, there's a lot more free higher education. So what I'm saying is that in America, because the sense, because the way the systems work, we don't really have the same level of social safety net that they have in other countries. So we have to look at ways to like, how do we strengthen the social safety net? Which is all this is about is like, how do you make sure that like, for example, Dante Wright, and I'm just using him, I don't know his life, but let's just say, let's just say a kid named Jamal, just for the sake of this. Why has it got to be Jamal? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds close to Kamal. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A kid named Franklin. It's let's say the black kid from Peanuts has a kid named Franklin who lives in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, right now. And the neighborhood he, or let's say Southside Chicago, because I used to live there. On the South Side of Chicago, you can walk outside in a neighborhood and see miles of bombed-out buildings. You can see streets that are filled with potholes. You can see no chain grocery stores, and bigger than that, you see you don't see businesses on every block that are looking to hire. You can walk for a long time without seeing uh, uh, help wanted, without seeing a lot of help wanted signs. And I lived on the south side of Chicago, so I know this to be true. Whereas if you go to the north side of Chicago, and uh, and uh, Charlie Brown's kid comes out <laughs> outside on the north side, which is where it's predominantly white, you can't go too far without seeing a help wanted sign. Every building, there's not bombed out buildings. There's construction. The streets, the streets are flat. There's hospitals everywhere. There's hospitals. So the fact is, is that the way that we solve that in America is by figuring out how do we distribute the money in a different way? Or how do we encourage investment in these neighborhoods so that Franklin on the south side of Chicago, when he walks outside, feels like, oh, I live in a neighborhood that has my back and wants me to succeed. And unfortunately, we have to connect that to money because it's just not going to happen without money. Right. I understand that. But I the reason why I'm countering this is because people are still going to fight. <laughs> no, but we have stories of of blacks and police that go beyond the class of it all, too, you know, uh, of interactions uh, that aren't the best type of interactions. But certainly class plays a part in in, you know, people's unfortunate situations and what people have to do to survive and that sort of thing. Well, no, uh, but again, I think that's still about when you say something like defund the police, you're still saying police are involved in too many interactions with people where they, where we don't necessarily need somebody with a gun who that's the main tool of their interaction. I understand that. Like it cuts out a certain type of interaction. Yes. I'm saying it doesn't matter the type of interaction. There's a problem with the relationship is what I'm saying. Well, no, like, that, well, that's right. Well, I mean, this all for me is, a, and when you talk about defund the police, there's, that's just a range. Some people, I, there are people who are like abolish the police. This is all ranges of the discussion, places to have the discussion. When people say defund the police, those same people are also saying we need a, we need a new way to imagine how the society takes care of people who are doing deals with people who are doing bad things. Yeah. And it's a and it's a combo platter, which I get there. More resources are needed in this communities. And the way to get that is to take it out of the police and have them not just a do finite the things budget. that are yeah. unnecessary. I understand that. Yeah. I'm saying. But if we're looking at police brutality when it comes to to unarmed black uh, people and that sort of thing. 
I don't, I feel that it's not a money issue, you know, um, that, you know, cause it happens in all different types of encounters and in, in different ways, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, in one type of thing. And it, this was happening when I was a child, you know, it was happening for years and years, you know, the, you can go back to many different times and rights where this, you know, combo platter took on different, different, uh, ways and forms, you know, budgets weren't necessarily what they are today. You know, things occurred differently, but that relationship to me has been a long lasting one that is problematic. Well, but I think one of the ways in which you like, one of the ways in which you solve problematic relationships is going like, how do we change the circumstances here? So I think certainly I'm absolutely for, we need, and I've said this several times, we need to completely tear down the system of policing in America and reimagine it. So that's mm-hmm. that, but that's it. I, and I would say that's embedded in defund the police. Like part of this sure. is like, sure, once sure. we take the money away from police, we go, do we, are, are we hiring the right people? What's the test? Because, you know, I've talked to many people in the military, like it, you know, a lot of police academies, it's like six weeks to come up, become a police officer, which that's a problem. Like, you know, somebody who's got that much. And you brought up, which I thought was really good too, the over militarization that uh, the police have gone through now, which I blame on the show SWAT. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think you're <laughs> not wrong. A lot of people blame it on the actual SWAT, but I think yeah. the show SWAT was I, like, man, who doesn't yeah. want to be a member of SWAT? I mean, I blame, I think they think they call it copaganda. The idea, I think Hollywood has not done a, has done a, I mean, I say this, we all go to cop movies and go, man, I love that cop who tosses his badge across the desk and says, I'm going to handle this myself. Shoot him up. Yeah, it's a shoot him up. Yeah. But I'm like, unfortunately, some people love that and then go become that guy. Right. You know, we love right. the rogue cop in the movie, but that's when the rogue cop is played by The Rock. It's not play, It's not an actual rogue cop in your city. Right. Were there any things about this issue that surprised you that before you start and you heard it, you go, oh, well, I didn't realize that about this when it comes to maybe this movement, the defund movement or the the way that this problem is being approached in Oakland. I think the well, and we also talked to Vallejo. Uh, went to yeah, Vallejo that was he, devastating. Yeah, that what's going the, on there. I think the thing that is most troubling about this and it's they're sort of uh, they go hand in hand is one. How many police officers are involved in shootings? And even if they get fired, they can go get a job at another police department somewhere else or involved in unjustified shootings or in some ways even punished. Like they get fired from the police department because they shot somebody that they should not have shot. But they just go get a job as a police somewhere else. That there's, and people have talked about this. There's, there's no national database of bad police. So police can often just move on to another location, even if they mm-hmm. get fired for, for misconduct. It's kind of like the priest going to another. Uh, it's exactly <laughs> like that. It's, it's the same I can playbook. say that because I'm Catholic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can say that because I'm married to a Catholic. Yeah, there um, you go. But and also how strong the power of police unions. And I mm-hmm. think that a lot, we say in the episode unions is not even necessarily a good name for them. That like the that I remember we I talked about this a lot. We didn't end up using the episode, but you might remember this when. There was a, a police-involved shooting in New York City sometime like 2012, 2013, uh-huh. and it was after de Blasio was elected, and de Blasio had, come, had at that point come out against some other police things, oh, and de yeah. Blasio went to the, the funeral, and the cops turned their back on sure. him. Sure, I remember that, yeah. And you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> right. Isn't he your boss? Right, like union, he did, like he was the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, shouldn't you respect your boss? I mean, obviously, De Blasio. We can, that's a whole other discussion. Uh-huh. Uh, but the idea being that like police unions are so strong 
that they don't that they don't have to. There's no incentive for them to get better because right. they're so strong and they're and they're and they're not protecting. They're protecting their whole organization. They're not actually right. about protecting the citizens. Yeah. Now I feel a lot of the problems are there, you know, and I wanted to ask you, and I appreciate the other side, you know, of the money and all that stuff, which I think is good. And I think those things are needed. I don't want to act like I'm saying that they're not, I'm just saying for this, you're saying give cops more money, Larry, that's what you're saying. And I'm, <laughs> right. and I'm, I'm, saying, I'm glad you're taking that stand and I'm, I look forward to it in the headline of an article that comes out of this go. podcast. I, I'm saying for this particular issue, like there. Uh, it's got to be a multi-pronged attack, I of feel course. like, you know, and police unions are one of those insidious uh, areas where police are protected. And I wonder if the conviction of Derek Chauvin and if he ends up getting a tough sentence as opposed to a light sentence, will that type of thing uh, make a difference as well? Because we haven't seen a lot of convictions and, you know, there's both the stick and carrot approach to mm-hmm. to problems, mm-hmm. as you say. And I think we need a lot of stick in this too. Yes. Like someone knowing they can't do something because they might go to jail a lot longer as opposed to I'll do whatever the fuck I want because I'm going to be protected by my union. I would feel more likely that that was the case, except for the fact that you would think that if there are any police officers in the country who are more aware of their behavior when interacting with black citizens, it would be police in that part of the world in Minnesota, in many, in the Minneapolis area. But then to know that that cop shot Dante Wright like, in the, as he was speeding away from the scene, you would think that, and she's also the cop who trains people. You So to me, it's like, I think police see, see them like that guy got caught. I would imagine a lot of cops are going, that guy got caught. And they're talking themselves out of why they won't get caught. Do you think she intentionally shot him with their gun? I mean, we went through the same a similar thing here in Oakland with Oscar Grant, where that cop said he thought he pulled his taser and he pulled his gun. I don't know. Nobody can make sense of why that would happen. That was terrible. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just it doesn't you know, you've even Pat Robertson <laughs> doesn't think that makes sense. I don't know if you've seen that clip of Pat Robertson yeah, holding up the Glock and the taser. I don't understand what is going through your mind. Well, what was weird, it, it's not like she said it like a day later when they questioned her. She she was saying it on the tape, which to me makes it a little more complicated. Like but I, but I, some of but I'm, saying, I'm yeah. saying if this is a big fuck up, that's an even bigger problem like that. You know, but, you know, to me, it's like everybody who talks, everybody who who because, you know, I know a lot of people who who own guns and are part of gun culture. And they are saying you cannot pick up a gun in a taser and feel like you're holding the right. same thing. Right. So, so do you think when she said tasing, tasing, and oh shoot, I shot him? Do you think she was lying? I think she's guilty. I'll say that. I don't know what was going on in her mind, but I think that like if you have picked up a gun and you thought it was a taser, then you are not equipped to do your job. And whatever the legal term for that is, you are guilty. Because I, I and I because I mean because I've also seen this. You, you know, we have in the Vallejo footage. Some a cop goes. You've, well, you've seen cops do this. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. And the black person's like, I'm not doing anything. And then the cop tackles him. So I feel like we have seen cops do that thing where they go, once I say this, it's game on. Yeah. There's something that switches on with police that I've noticed, you know, when someone starts to resist, they go to a different level. And mm-hmm. it's almost like, and it doesn't matter the level of resistance, even if you just say, uh, you don't have the right to do that. Like the kid, the Elijah, what was Elijah? Elijah, Elijah McClain. That one is so heartbreaking. I, yeah. You know, you cry every time you see it. And he wasn't resisting. He said, 
I have the right to walk home, which to them immediately went, oh, fuck you, little, we're going to show you. It seems like they went into that mode immediately, you know, which, ugh. That which, was and that's terrible. a classic example of like somebody called the police because mm-hmm. they saw a black kid wearing an open face ski mask dancing right. down the street. And they during, said during the pandemic, during the pandemic. Yeah. Right. Which is, and, right. the, and apparently the He's person said his face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they said something, they said something effective. They didn't think he was dangerous. First of all, why are you calling the cops? But see, this is why it's about money. Cause there should be a number you can call that is like, Hey, I just see something that's weird. That doesn't necessitate a person, people coming out with guns who have an attitude of like, we have to eliminate, we have to neutralize the threat. Because, first of all, and that's about how we all have taken in propaganda. If you see something, say something. Well, I see a kid. I see a black kid dancing down the street. That's weird. I've never seen a black kid dancing down the street. I better call somebody. Like, so part of this is about what we do, how we how we dismantle our own uh, propaganda. But then the fact is, is that all that needed was somebody to show up and go, "Hey, some." Social worker to come out. Hey, man, somebody called and said, you look like you're uh, dancing down the street. How you doing? I'm just dancing down the street. All right, man. <laughs> like it just, it's, it, he's still alive. But then, see, that's why it's about like, how are we using our resources and where are we funneling them towards? Because so many times cops show up in places where they have not been properly trained and their go-to is whether or not it's killing somebody. Like those cops, I don't know if you saw the the, the black kid, black and Latino kids who were bicycling in Elizabeth, uh, North Carolina, Elizabeth City, uh, either one of the Carolinas. Black kids who were bicycling down the street. <laughs> Apparently, there's some law in the books that you have to have a, a license if you want to bicycle down the street. Nobody knows that, right? 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 <laughs> it's some it's some law from 1930. You forgot you you don't have your license, do you, boy? <laughs> yeah. They they told them to bicycle on the sidewalk, which is actually illegal. <laughs> so like it's like, and they they ended up taking a kid into custody over it. Now that uh-huh. nobody died, so it's not going to get the same level of attention. But it's uh-huh. sort of say what you're saying. There's all multiple levels of interaction with cops where cops are being inappropriate with people, and uh-huh. where people are then taking in the message of like, I better be careful because even if I'm on my bicycle, I'm potentially a criminal. I saw that uh, when you were <laughs> you showed the clip of Obama calling it a snappy slogan, and now. I'm sorry, uh, Kamal, but I think you have a beef with Obama now that you're going to have to, <laughs> I think you're going to have to uh, smooth out because it seems like you guys were kind of dissidive and saying, well, well, let's just examine this snappy slogan, Mr. I mean, Mr. I mean, Ex-President. Well, here's the thing. You can only go to the, you can only go to the Tucker Carlson well so many times. <laughs> and it, that really came out of we were like putting it together and the, uh-huh. and the editors were putting a bunch of Fox News. I'm like, it's not just Fox News people who are. Ant- I I don't want to be the the, the guy. On the Do left you think Obama's out of touch? Is that what you're saying? I think I think I think Obama has not read in enough on it. That's all. And I think he can do the reading and figure you it out. The president of the United States hasn't read enough. The ex president about, about of the police who about defund the police. Maybe now, but I think at that moment, other because I don't think he would say it was a snap. But snappy you don't think slogan. he could he could disagree with it as a like? I think why do you think a, like why do you think he? wouldn't just disagree with it as opposed to he doesn't know it because it's what your assumption is that if he knew what it was, he would agree with it. Well, maybe he doesn't no, no, know no, no, what no, it no. is, no, but no, he no. disagrees with it. No, not my assumption is when he called us is really with the snappy slogan thing is like that. It's that, that when you call it a snappy slogan, you're, you're sort of, you're sort of putting out the message out there that it's, there's not actually real research and, and, and uh scholarship and that this is not a part of a bigger discussion. So I, it's not the same as like uh, 
Hashtag blessed. No, I never <laughs> thought it was a good slogan personally. A lot of people you know? didn't. Well, a lot of people one didn't. of the reasons, because to me, it sounds like a policy prescription as opposed to a slogan that you can make up a lot of things about, you know. But I don't think it was ever meant to be a slogan. I think it, I know, everything, gets, everything gets sloganized. Exactly. That's what it became, you know. But well, when people so, are, chan- are chanting it and it's on placards, yeah. that's a slogan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, <laughs> right, right. and I, and I've known some people in the defund movement who are like, who are, ha- have taken in that feedback and are talking about maybe it's, it's refund the community, <laughs> give a refund to the community. So I'm not, and, and this, this is my, my real belief of this black folks since the beginning of this country have been trying to figure out ways to explain to, to the system, most of which mm-hmm. is white people, you're doing this wrong. Right. And sometimes what? it's like, and I would imagine as I've joked before, the first African who got off the boat and was like, wait, what do you want me to do? Excuse me. I would politely like to decline. <laughs> and it was, like, and then her, oh, yeah. I guess I'm going to come up with some new ways to explain this. So yeah. to me, this is no different than Ice Cube saying, fuck the police. It's like, he was like, look, I've tried to negotiate. <laughs> I've tried to say, please. Now we're here. And some people were like, but why would you say that? And well, now we can have the discussion. So, and also I think when I, by criticizing Obama, he can take it. That's certainly not punching down. That's not. And it's no, also, no, no, no. yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what you got to do. If you're a critic, I mean, you have you know, to I, go after people. Yeah. And I, and I, well, that's funny. I don't even think of it as going after people. I think it's like really sort of talking about using sort of like saying, here's the big cultural discussion. Mm-hmm. And we have talked, we have brought all sorts of people into it. And if you look at the history of the show, it's not the first time we have brought Obama into the discussion. Yeah. I think Obama was responding to it from a political standpoint. If you're trying to get votes, I think because he talked about it at around the time of the election, I believe, yeah. you know, or when that was going on. I, but I think, I think that was well, the, but the fact is, it. is like, I remember when he said it very, mm-hmm. a few days after he said it, another black person was killed by police. And it was just like, right. you know, so to me, I'm not, I, I get where that comes from. And I think the fact is most of the viewers of the show are probably going to be closer to the Obama version of this than my version of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going, look, yes, even he said, well, let me ask you this because um, I feel like there hasn't been a clear distinction. And I'm not sure if you make it on your show between the defund ideology and the abolition ideology. I think they're very close. And it feels like some of the defund people are they feel that's a starting point for abolition, but yes, it's not absolutely. there yet, yeah. which to me makes it, well, basically that's the same thing then. Or is there a distinction? Are they two separate types of things? And this, sorry, this is like a three-part question, but yeah. I would like, if you can give an explanation of the abolition movement and what that is, that'd be great. So first of all, I would like to- Why, direct- why don't we start with that? Why don't we talk yeah. about abolition first? Well, so first of all, I, this is going to be a moment where I'm like, I'm not the expert. No, I understand. <laughs> but from your yeah. point of view, yeah. of what, so, of what, because we want this to be able to be in layman's language, mm-hmm, you know, that mm-hmm. people can digest and understand as you were saying, you know, yeah. it shouldn't just be a slogan, but what does it actually yeah. mean? So first of all, I just want to, one of the people we talked in the episode is Cat uh, Brooks, who's, who's somebody who has done a lot of work with this for me. So I would mm-hmm. encourage anybody to Google Cat Brooks. She's on Twitter. Right. Also the Anti-Police Terror Project, who she's a part of the Anti-Police Terror Project. And they have talked about all these things. So you can go Google sure. them. You can read these things. I just want to be clear right. that, like, don't take my answer as the answer. That's okay. Um, but, but what what yeah, is your as understanding before, of this? Yeah, As I've said many times during the mm-hmm. pandemic, I was a black kid who wanted to be a comedian because of Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live. This is where it. I ended up. <laughs> so, right. So, but you're uh, also doing an episode on this. So I yes, get yeah. to no, ask no, no, you no, these I'm questions. Not, I'm not shying away from it. <laughs> I just like to be clear about, like, the, the, the 10-year-old version of me is like, what, what do we do now? Um, yeah. So... There is defund is a for for many people 
So defund is just saying you look at the city budget or wherever you live, the town budget, how much money is being spent on police? What are the police tasked with doing? Are there jobs and what the are there things the police are being tasked with doing that could be better served by social workers or even sure. jobs we haven't created yet? Right. So so that there are less interactions with police. Are there more because, efficient and better ways to serve the community yes, rather than police yes. do all these things that they're yes. probably not equipped yeah. and probably don't want to do. And don't want to do, as right. many have said. So, Get it. so that's defund. Now, right. some people say, so that's defund. And for some right. people, defund is that, the whole that's thing. That's really a tran- uh, allocation of resources for better. And you may end up by having fewer police or whatever. Yeah, but, it may end up, yeah, maybe. Or that you have... You have the same number of jobs, but some of these police now get turned into other things. Some of these police jobs get turned into other jobs. So it's not about okay. it's actually about trying to provide more resources for your city and more specific resources than than what we have now. So that's that. Mm-hmm. Now that for some people, that's the whole thing. Sure. That's the whole the whole Megillah. <laughs> for other people, they're saying, once we do that, right, why don't we then look at like what policing is in this country, in the, in our okay. town, in this country, mm-hmm. how the ways in which it was, and as we know, as we talked about in the episode, it was built on racism and white supremacy. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was not built to be for the community. It was built to protect rich white people from the, from, from enslaved Africans or f- the newly freed blacks. Partly because believe me, there's a lot of white criminals trying to steal from other white people too. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, right. that's, that's why protecting, <laughs> yeah. but, right. you know, pro- but right. certainly it was about like, man, all these black people are walking around now, you know, so that's a part of it. Right. And also and the, and the, the North, slave patrols and the, the relationship, especially in the South, the role of the police was more linked to what, how the slave patrols acted and that sort of thing. Absolutely true. And in the North, it was about, a lot of it was about protecting rich white people's property, certainly from black people, but also from poor white people. So yes, hundred percent. So so there's that. So then they go, well, maybe we need to reevaluate what it is to have a society that that is about protecting people, taking care of people, serving people. And that and, and a lot of people say that society doesn't exist with the police, with the with the way in which we have police now. So it's about we need to abolish the system of policing and envision a new system. But even I believe most abolitionists know that doesn't happen to, even if, that doesn't happen tomorrow. There are steps you take to get there. So none of that happens if the step you're at isn't working, but they're and saying what, it like, is there, do they have an idea of what that looks like or feels like? And is it, does, I don't know if this is the right question, but to me, some of that expresses a bit of naivete about criminality. Well, I think, well, here's the first thing I've asked people directly. What does that look? I asked Kat Brooks and you're like, mm-hmm. we don't know. Cause we haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. We are sitting and they're saying the whole idea is I think people idea of like, you would wake up tomorrow and the police would be abolished. And what happens now? There's crime in the streets and whatever. Sure. It's not no, going to happen overnight. I get it. Yeah. It takes it's time to replace purge. it. Yeah. But what, but what is it exactly? And what, well, are, see, that's the thing. what are some of the first like, steps of doing that and where are you going? Right. Well, first of all, it becomes about like, again, the fund is a part of this. If to go back to, Franklin uh, on the South side of Chicago. If, if generally black kids walk out on the South side of Chicago and the streets are all paved and there's a good, well-funded hospital nearby and there's, and there's lots of investments in businesses where they can get jobs that a lot of what is criminality goes away. That a lot of, now it doesn't mean that I'm not going to say, what'd you say to me, Larry Wilmore? Fuck you. We're fighting now. doesn't mean we won't have a fight sometimes, but it does mean that like a lot of the things that people are doing, are engaging in criminality because they don't have opportunity or they don't feel like anybody cares about them or they feel like their neighborhood, the the city is against them. A lot of that stuff goes away. As I've said, we did an episode last year about white supremacy. You know, if everybody's got a full belly, access to health care, 
feels a well-paying job and has a place to live, it's harder to get them to throw a brick through a window with you. And so what, what, what all these things are saying is like, if we get to a society that takes care of all of its people, it's not that there's no crime. It's just a lot of the, a lot of the reasons and a lot of the links to crime go away. If there's not a school to prison. What is this modeled after? Cause where does that society exist? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> what is it modeled I, after? What is the model of this? So I was going to say a, Wakanda. Is this a new mo- <laughs> yes? Is this a new model of human societal interactions and and because uh, yeah, I I don't know where this exists. What was slavery modeled after? <laughs> like what was like what after, was after slavery? Yeah. yeah, but it was but American slavery <laughs> was also like we're going to kick it up a notch. But you know what was well, slavery know, think, had been around for thousands of years. Let's yeah, no, I'm not saying that. that but I'm not saying even like, Jesus was clear about his stance on slavery. <laughs> You know, he was like kind of even Christ was like, "Mm, just look, slaves, slave masters, be kinder to your slaves. What about that? What about (laughs) slavery itself? Jesus, what about that? Hey, 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 hey. let's give it a couple of thousand years and then we'll talk about it. See how this goes. But I think that like I think we, we get caught up in what is it modeled after? It's like, well, what are the goals? And I think that you can look around the world and go in place in places here. This is I think there's all these places in the world you can look at. For example, I think it's in Norway. You can only get a 20-year prison sentence. So even the guy mm-hmm. who went up and shot up all those people, it's a 20-year prison sentence. People live in— 20-year prison sentence for anything that you do. Well, no, but then what happens is at the end of that 20 years, they come back and go, how you doing? And if that guy who shot up all those people is not doing well, then he stays in prison. So it's like— oh, but I'm so saying it's like a parole no, system. There's no such thing as life in prison as we have in America. Do so, we think life in prison is a bad thing? Well, I think— well, now we're going to have a whole other discussion. <laughs> oh, this is a podcast. This is yeah, great. Yeah. I, I would argue some some people deserve to be in prison for life. But nowhere near as many who are who do have life in prison. We did an okay. episode in season two about San Quentin prison. Right. There are many yeah, yeah, yeah. people. There, there, it, there's been over-sentencing. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So yes, like, that I agree example, with. So, that, so for the yeah. example, for a lot of those guys who are in San Quentin prison who are lifers, who if you ask them why they're in prison, you'd be like, a nonviolent drug charge? Yeah, because that, those were, are ridiculous. Yeah, that, or, But because you were standing next to another black guy, you guys were a gang because it was L.A. and three strikes and you're out, you know. So I would say that, like, there Serial are— Serial def- killers, people that have killed multiple people, show yeah, no talk- remorse, yeah, we're talking, yeah, sort they're, of thing. They're, but, Child but molesters, again, do it over and over When you talk about that, you're talking about a very small percentage of who's getting life in prison. So that's—so, yes, there are certainly people where you go— and, and again, I'm not I'm not here to represent what abolition is, but there are certainly people where you go, yeah, there are those people. But we but I think we have been convinced that there are more of those people than there are. Or we've been convinced that everybody who gets life in prison probably deserved it, where in reality, if you go to San Quentin and also most prisons, not about rehab. So this is why it gets to the whole criminal justice thing and the, or the whole mass incarceration thing. If your criminal justice system is about like somebody commits a crime, how do we how do we rehab this person to a position where they wouldn't commit that crime again? And so again, back to Norway, they have a low recidivism rate because people in prison are actually engaging in rehab and there are programs to help them rehab. So when they get out of prison, it's so cold in Norway. I mean, honestly, (laughs) well, I'm not advocating. Who wants to be out breaking into somebody's house? It's too fucking cold. (laughs) And I'm not advocating a move to Norway, but I'm saying (laughs) I just keep, I keep going back to that one because that's the one I know about, but there are ways in which you can look around the world and go, things are being done differently here than they're done here. And that's what but, we do in But America. they don't have an absence of police in Norway, right? No, but I think that for, in other cultures, like I said, people look at the way cops show up in tanks mm-hmm. and in full riot gear yeah. because of 
teenage girl is at a <laughs> like is, at a pool is, party. Yes, at a pool party, and <laughs> yeah. go. What are you doing over no, there? No, that's so crazy. Again, that's, that's I think crazy. that's the thing. It's like there are the police are a different mean different things there. They're not mm-hmm. the, they don't show up pulling out guns at at the slightest at the slightest uh, provocation. So I think mm-hmm. if we I think and this is the problem in this country. If we look globally, there are there are models we can use, but also in America, you know. We, we, we couldn't imagine our iPhones. <laughs> you know, well, let me ask like, you this. I think a country that it's based on the idea of freedom, and I'm being general, over general here, the things that come with freedom are people that fuck up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that don't do the right thing. It's, it seems like police are needed for that type of system probably more than a lot of other types of systems where maybe it's not as important, you know, depending on what that is, you know, but it's also about how uh, you define, how you define fucking up. Cause I think we, right now we have defined fucking up as being too many things. Like mm-hmm. for example, a, a nonviolent marijuana charge is fucking mm-hmm. up. Right. But uh rape certainly deserves uh, yeah. police hey, to go after a rapist, which uh, ironically, we don't actually put a lot of rapists in jail in this country. So like, I think that, yeah. If you look, and if we you look should at, look at that. There you yeah. go. Yeah, so I think that like you, I think a lot of times we have this like we have this idea that the prisons are filled with like it's Arkham Asylum from Batman or something, and that's just not generally the case. That's the, there are, but it's also not filled with uh, you know librarians who got caught up in the wrong thing. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's, it's, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what the wrong thing is, but <laughs> yeah. sure, sure, it's filled with it's filled. But I think it's about how we look at. Are we are we here as a society? Are we putting the focus on punishment or are we putting the focus on rehab? Because there's way more right. people who are like I who go, yeah, I did that thing. I shouldn't have done that thing. I'm sorry right. about that thing. Let me get let me get right with myself. Let me get and then let me come let me give me a second chance. And we're not big on the second chance. Part of punishment, of course, is protecting citizens. If someone is, you know, like we take a child molester, someone's out molesting children. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, but, you don't want to keep them not put away because you're protecting the citizenry. You know? But I, but I, I'm sure, and I'd have to look this up. There's way more people in prison for, you know, nonviolent crimes than there are child molesters. But there's a lot of people in prison for violent crimes as well. Yeah, but I, but we have a thing in this right. country where we like to punish. For you know, we both. I, I'm just saying, like there, I like I don't like to have just one category. Like people just need to be rehabilitated. Well, you need to be punished too. I mean, there's a combo platter that needs to happen. But, our, here. but currently, we have right. our combo. There isn't a combo platter. It's right. it's like overwhelmingly. It's like if it's a if it is a combo platter, you're like, but I ordered the combo platter, and this is just nachos. <laughs> like this is it's just yeah. we're and there's a, and there's one mozzarella stick. We we need more mozzarella sticks <laughs> in the combo platter. Stick. There you go. That's the philosophy that we yeah. need. And uh, I think so. I think we we have. If you think of it this way. We and I'm being over- devil's advocate for a lot of yeah. this too. Giving you We're, this. We've overcorrected right. for punishment. Sure. We've overcorrected for punishment and haven't corrected enough for like, well, what, like for example, in San Quentin, there are a lot of people, a lot, I met a lot of dudes in there. Or like I came in here, mm-hmm. I did the thing when I was in my early twenties. Sure. It was a, maybe it was a, maybe it was a violent offense, but I've been mm-hmm. in here for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. I got a degree. I've done, I've done work with the families. I've done restitution work. I'm here. I'm a counselor. I'm in AA. There were more black dudes talking about therapy in San Quentin than I've ever met in my life. Well, let me ask you this. If there were like a, a shorter sentencing guideline, like if you couldn't be in prison more than 15 or 20 years, do you think that increases crime or decreases crime? I mean, I think that there's been research, and I, that again, I have to accept that, that tough on crime things don't have any effect. We're tough on crime. Like the death penalty doesn't create less crime. 
Like, you know, so I think that like, again, we're talking about a system that is fundamentally, I, I that is fundamentally not doing the right things. I don't, I, there's no, yeah. Places that have the death penalty doesn't prevent people from doing the crime or doesn't stop people. So I don't think, I think again, because punishment and again, sort of what you're saying earlier, if somebody, if somebody wants to, wants to fight you, they're going to fight you. They're not thinking about what is the sentencing for fighting you? Right. You know right, what I right. mean? Like, right. that, like I'm sure Makia Bryant, whatever she was doing, wasn't thinking about, is this a death penalty state? Is this a tough on mm-hmm. crime state? Like right. she was thinking I'm having this moment has caught in this moment. This is the only thing I think that makes it's a crime sense. of passion. That's a crime. Yeah, of passion. So, yeah. so it's, a, or, you know, so Act I mean, you passion, know, whatever. think about mm-hmm. George Floyd. Yes, that was for a twenty dollar for a a, a, mm-hmm. a, a count, maybe for a, I don't know if we've ever found out if it's counterfeit, but a counterfeit twenty dollar bill is what he's being accused of. Sure. Counterfeit twenty dollar bill, and that okay. led to him being so because of the way our system works, mm-hmm. there is no way to sort of go. First of all, if he passed the twenty five dollar bill and you took it, let him go. But there's no way to sort of call the twenty the, the call the the twenty dollar bill cops <laughs> like the, the people who go there is he just passed the twenty dollar bill. Come bring that level of police. Yeah, I know the twenty dollar bill cops. That's funny. What what we do in a situation like that in an abolition environment? Well, again, we're talking about. It's, I think about this with Makia Bryant in an abolition environment. Because mm-hmm. this is all probably don't even up. call anybody. Just like, well, or so first of all, or the circumstances have been created that maybe in an abolition environment there's universal basic income. So George mm-hmm. Floyd's not passing a fake twenty dollar bill mm-hmm. because during the pandemic, or or what if during the pandemic we were all like we were like South, I think it was South Korea. I know uh, Denmark did this where everybody got like seventy five percent pay of their paycheck, and we're told that and and also lived in society. Where there was national, where there was universal health care, so George Floyd's not this, not doing the same stuff. That it, that I think abolitionists would say it's not about the absence of cops; it's about what you put in the place of of a society that wants to punish people. So that maybe George Floyd doesn't need to pass a twenty dollar bill. It's possible, but I I think. But okay, I'll take I'll take. I hear what you're saying in the situation where George Floyd, and again, I'm, this is not my, this is not my, this is not, I'm not the abolition guy. I'm not the guy who knows all about this. No, that's okay. But, I'm just, but in I'm the just absence of like combo. George Floyd passes a $20 bill that you think is fake. There's a number you call where you go, this person just did this. He passed the $20 bill. Here's his description. Somebody comes to find George Floyd who is going to, who, who, who maybe has a little bit more like, man, this guy's passing $20 bills. Something must be wrong. He must be in trouble. Something's or what? What is he engaging? Because it ain't. He didn't. But, he, but, he wasn't. But that's a crime. Out. Isn't passing a, a fake bill a crime? It is a crime. But I'm saying somebody mm-hmm. comes with a sense of like, what's wrong? A sense of like, what? The, what is this guy going through that his best option is to pass a twenty dollar bill? So when they talk to him, they go, "Hey, man." As I as I joked about, I'm with the department of you. Okay, are you okay? You just passed a twenty dollar bill. That's a crime. Whatever that we have decided happens in a crime situation, it is not a cop on your neck uh, killing you. It's somebody who engages with you as a human being and goes, hey, man, we have decided you have passed this $20 bill. We have proof that you did it. There's still some sort of like, can we talk? Let's talk to you. Come with us. But George Floyd in this abolished situation doesn't think that person is coming to kill him. And so his whole so his whole uh his whole interaction is different and his whole anxiety is different because we've all been the black person who suddenly looked up and there was a cop behind him and went, Oh shit. Even if we know we hadn't done anything. Yeah. So it's we live tough. in this. 
It's yeah. really tough knowing what is going to change something, especially because we're using time machine mechanics to say, well, well maybe this, you know, maybe I think, this well, I think we have happened. to, I think we have to get caught up on is the goal to have a society mm-hmm. where less police officers kill black people in ways that seem wrong. If that's the goal, we have to know that like we have done, you know, we've talked about this in the episode. There's been lots of efforts to reform the police. And for mm-hmm. some reason that has ended up with police having more guns. And more there are weapons. many police departments run by black people. There are yeah. many black mayors who are running these police departments or working in conjunction with them. There are many yeah. black officers, many officers who come from those neighborhoods. And this problem has not gone away. No, because it's a, it's a systemic problem. And so I think mm-hmm. the idea being that like, <laughs> if you're, if you're, a, if you're a sensitive, loving person who wants to do the best for your community, you probably don't think become a police officer. Or if you do, by the time you get through the academy, as they say, the good apples start to turn the other way when the bad apples do things, mm-hmm. which is the other problem. Have you heard of the story of Carol, Carol Horn? What is that? Carol Horn is a black woman from Buffalo, New York, who I think it was 10, 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know officer, story. Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. she actually she, she stopped. She was a snitch. She was. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she stopped yeah. a white cop from choking yeah, a black guy. Straight. Unbelievable. And, and, and got fi- eventually got fired and got her she, pension taken. She and got had to go- fired right before she was going to get her pension. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. so now she's had her pension restored, but it's like, yeah, it's that was the story. good apple. Yeah. That's, and so this is like, we're Do talking about so, more snitches. Well, certainly, first of all, yes, <laughs> yes, cops need more snitches. <laughs> Finally, snitches, you have a place where you can yeah. do some good. Go become in the a police cop. force. If you are a snitch, that is who the cops are looking for. Exactly. Yeah. So, but also, we need a situation where, like, you know, as, as we talked about with George next to Derek Chauvin, was yeah. it three or four cops just stood there doing crowd control? Yeah, that's that thin blue line type of thing. You know, they're afraid to. Cross and that's that, the or, they're, or they're trained to. Yes, that's a hose. That's and that's why I'm saying we have thing, the, you know the system. But yeah, I yeah, I've said this. Maybe you've had this. And I've that's never why been I say like, to to me that's to me different than that other thing. You know, like what other thing we got of whatever happens in the community, and we need to shore up this. We need more mental health. I say yes, let's do all that. But this system thing needs to yeah. be shaken up some kind well, of that, way. But I think they're saying yeah. one way you shake up the system is st- this, when the system keeps doing keeps asking for more money and keeps doing and keeps being wrong. Then you go, well, one thing we need to do is take the money away. But in part of that, it's also like, we need to reimagine what we, who we want walk in our streets mm-hmm. who are in law enforcement positions and what that person looks like and what that person has access to, what that person has. So that if they go, this is a homeless guy who was passed out on the street. I don't need a person with a gun here. Mm-hmm. I need somebody with a juice box <laughs> and, and a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And there's no juice box sandwich cop to like police officer to call. Do you they, think there's going to be a real change after this uh, George Floyd moment? I'll call it, you know, starting from the videotape and the rights and now the trial and all that. And, you know, coming up, as I say, to the sentencing. Do by rights, do you mean the uprisings? Rights, uprisings. There were certainly rights, too. <laughs> there, uh, was, there was there was some things absolutely, broken. Absolutely. Yes. You know, um, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't have to use agreement words. <laughs> I could. I don't mind finding I, my own vocab to describe things. I know. I know. Yeah, but uh, you know, Martin Luther King. You know, when he talked about it, he used the word "riot" to describe. You know, yeah, yeah no, a was. riot is the language of the unheard. Yeah, so he I said think, riot. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that's what, what it else? is. Yeah, when I mean, you, yeah. people don't yeah. have to be. People don't have to soft sell it to me. No, 
yeah. you know, right is what it is. And no, so- I agree. I just want to, I'm just sort of, I mean, I'm mostly joking, but the idea being that like a lot of people and I'm, you're not doing this use riot as a way to say that to sort of distract from the fact that like, well, these are people who are, who are a lot, most of what was going out there, people were complaining about the system and some of that got violent and some of that got, it, yes, it led but up in property. Right is a correct way to describe how people are behaving. They're acting out in a certain way because they're upset about something yeah. for whatever reasons you can ascribe what they're upset about and why yeah. they're doing it. But right is just a term to describe yeah. what people are actually doing. Yeah. You know, and there's just, been, you know, there have been many riots that aren't race related, but they were still yeah. riots. You know, we still yeah, describe we had one on January 6th. I, although <laughs> I guess that's race related too. <laughs> yes. No, but we've described it as riots for years. Yeah. There's nothing, I don't find anything wrong with describing something as a riot, hey, whether I agree with it or not, you know, mm-hmm. the, the emphasis behind it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Me not afraid of words. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> Can't be your comedian. No, of course not. We don't, yeah. we wouldn't have taken away. But, uh, but about the change, do you think, do you think, uh, come out from, I mean, you've talked to a lot of people about this. You, you know, as you say, you're from Oakland, I'm from LA. My parents are from Chicago. You know, I, I know the history, a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Been told about it when I was a kid and didn't even understand it that much, but knew about how cops would shoot you and drop a gun on you in Chicago. Yeah. You know, yep. so they could justify mm-hmm. the shooting. I heard those mm-hmm. stories when I was a kid. Yeah. That had nothing to do with the videotape of Mm-mm. seeing this. So I've been well aware of this, of this relationship, you know. Is this a moment? Uh, I'm not asking you for a prediction, but just like maybe a, a feeling that you may have. Cause I'm, I'm, I, f- I feel like I'm cynical about this. You mm-hmm. know, I feel like all this happened, but a couple of years from now, it's going to be like, it never happened. Like, like how you have a plague amnesia, you know, a couple yeah. of years, people won't remember, you know, remember, the, the plague. Yeah, somebody yeah. brought this up today. Remember mm-hmm. when we were trying to get Coney? Remember Coney? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we still trying to get Cody? Right. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah. We, so yes, I think we have a lot of uh, we, especially with all this is tied to the pandemic. The more things go back to normal, mm-hmm. although the double the double mutant strain in India is going to try to tell us there's no normal again. We'll see what happens. <laughs> right, right. We'll see but about that. I, I think that uh, the more we get back to quote unquote normal, mm-hmm. the the more people's attention on this will will flag, especially people who their attention on it was new new as of George Floyd, because right. I think we can't separate the fact that the reason why George Floyd, the response to George Floyd happened is because we were all at home watching the news counting COVID deaths, mm-hmm. you know, and then suddenly the news was like, we may have a bigger story right now. And we mm-hmm. all watched the George Floyd thing. But, you know, so I think that the, that I think in many ways, Trump has maybe put the nail in the coffin for this country as the greatest country in the world, which was a narrative that other countries even took on and people from other countries took on is like, I got to go there. If I want to make the, if I want to make it happen, whatever it is. And, you know, a lot of innovation that this country gets credit for was brought here by people from other countries who are like, I'm going to do that there. So I think a lot of that in So this is a long way to answer the question. I think a lot of that innovation is going to either stay in those countries or they're going to find a new country. That is the place to be. I think that's going to happen. It may be, <laughs> it may be New Zealand. Um, so I think a lot of what this, a lot of the th- great things that come out of this country, I think are probably going, are going to go away. And a lot of this is because COVID, they don't even want us going to their countries right now. So it's like the idea being that like, we are sort of, we, we've closed our own borders. So I think that's a part of it. And then I think that like, you know, unless we can't hope that every time a person dies, that a nas- national protest movement erupts. So then it becomes about electing leaders who keep that same energy when they get into elected office. And in that sense, 
we don't have enough of those leaders right now. So I think that if like, so that's, that's where it all falls apart. You know, when, if Marjorie Taylor Greene <laughs> can be a congressperson, then, then this is, then it's a, then it, the ball's up in the air and I don't know which way the ball's going to go right now. Mm-hmm. There's an equal chance for things to not change as they are to change, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause I think that, and it all, it's, you know, and I think that, you know, I mean, amazing things have happened recently. I think the, I, you know, I don't think we we have sort of accepted enough how crazy it is that Georgia went blue. You know, like I think that that's like, and that was done by black people on the ground who were like, all right, even though we don't necessarily support everything Joe Biden is and does, we are going to do this work because it will get us off because it will get us out of the ditch that we're in, hopefully. But the fact is now. I think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris need to know that those people are holding receipts and those people are saying now that we, that, and some of those receipts are like really create a safer, more equitable environment for black people in this country. Some of that is criminal justice reform. Some of that's what is the George Floyd act. Some of that is reparations. <laughs> There's a lot of things on that plate. I'm hoping, and this may be foolish of me to, to think this way, but I'm hoping that a lot of this work can be nonpartisan because I feel these are human rights issues, not Democratic and Republican issues. No, which is why, yeah, which is in some sense why I don't only pick on Republicans on the show, because it's like the, we're not talking about things that are just about like. Right. Like, and that's why I differ with some, like, I don't differ in terms of what the problem is, but I don't necessarily agree with the solutions. I think we can agree on um, problems, but we don't have to agree on solutions because many of the solutions are just the way the left would approach things, but there may be other ways that the way the right might approach things that might do well too. You know, there's nothing wrong with looking at both of those sides. I mean, yeah, but I think when we say the right, the right has become, you know, there are certainly Republicans who I've heard talk and go, yeah, you're making some good points, but currently they're not defined as the right. (laughs) Like the right is. So that's my thing is like, there's, I feel like if we're going to talk about who generally the Republican party is, and again, I'm not here caping for Democrats, Mm -hmm. but I think, the right has really painted themselves into a white corner. Right. But I'll I'll also say that the left, the extreme left is also very loud on the democratic side. Not everybody's a Marxist just because you're a Democrat, but okay. But the difference is everybody wants to, not everybody wants to dismantle an entire system because there's something wrong with it. You know? So, so like Rashida Tlaib is a Congress, Congressperson said, we don't need police and, you know, just wanted to get rid of it immediately as a Congressperson saying that, Believe me, if there's been polls that have been done in these black neighborhoods and they're not saying that we want this to go away. Well, yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I think the thing I would say is that the most extreme versions, the most extreme voices on the left generally are not in positions of power. But the most extreme voices of the right get to be president. <laughs> so like, you know, yeah, so but I, think I, that, like, I think they have influence. It's it's fair to but say not that the same, but like, influence. there is no you can't. Yeah. I don't think you can point to a Democratic congresswoman. Or not congressman. So I don't think you can lead. point to a Democratic congressperson who is the opposite of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's like that's that. No, that <laughs> woman's crazy. Yeah. That woman's so crazy. to me, it's like that's what I'm saying. Is like we don't have that. We don't get. We don't get our. You know, the people that I know in Oakland and Berkeley who are the, for lack of a better word, the left version of Marjorie Taylor Greene are not are, can't get a sniff in. Yeah, you're not going to reason with that person. But, but I'm not, saying, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, and I'm saying right and left more than Democrat and Republican. You know that there. are. I think there are hum- humanistic ways to approach this that don't have to be so caught up in politics because it's always hard to. No, I just think until the Republican Party disabuses themselves of like Trumpism, it, I, I find them to be bad faith negotiators because I think that like there we can't point to one American president f- 
who it, from the left who's the who's the left Trump. <laughs> like there's not like, and we're never gonna get that person because even there's if, still time. Yeah, because even <laughs> even Obama, who they pointed at as being like the the whatever the community organizing Kenyan Muslim blah blah, wasn't any of wasn't those things, you know. Trump, as he said, you know, there's nobody like him. I agree with Trump on that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God there's not more. But yeah, so I just, that's all I say. It's like, I think the, the, when we talk about the left and the right, we have to really accept the fact that the, when I say, sometimes I say the GOP to be clear about the leadership of the party. I'm not talking about a Republican. I'm talking about who leads your party. What do we have to look forward to? Some other episodes uh, coming up? Some things you're excited about? <laughs> we have a fun one about economic uh, wealth disparity oh, and man. a fun one about uh, protest in Portland. We do actually have a f- one that I like that's about uh, black people in STEM and technology that was filmed in Atlanta oh, okay. uh, that that features a lot of like, uh, it's, it's like our most feel good episode of the season, even though we still talk about COVID and things like that. But it features a lot of black folks who are really doing some incredible things in in uh, in Atlanta. Uh, and we have an episode in Dallas, Texas, that focuses on the black on the black transgender community in Dallas, Texas, which is also, you know, feels very ripped from the headlines. But it's just what we mm-hmm. thought we needed to do. Why Why was it in Dallas? I mean, it's funny. A lot of this season was about like. We don't want to be changing planes a lot because of COVID. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> so it, we don't want to, we want to go to places that we feel like the COVID restrictions are okay. So a lot of this season was determined by like, where, where, where can we shoot efficiently? Cause we were out there in the middle of COVID, like not like, you know, so, I mean, I, you know, it's the scary season. This is way scarier than the Klan as far as I'm concerned. And then it was also important to say, let's go to a place that people aren't expecting to mm-hmm. talk to black trans sure. people or trans folks. So and there's a big uh, transgender scene in a uh, transgender community in Dallas, Texas. It's just one of the many United Shades of America. Uh, See how I you. did that? Look at you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Congratulations. Uh, it sounds like just a really another really good season and it was a really nice mixing it up and talking to you about this. <laughs> beef gone, you guys. Beef, yeah, beef. considered Gone. Beef gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, thanks for, sure. for being on the show, uh, Kamal. We'll be looking forward to that and all your other episodes. Do you think you'd, uh, are you still going to do stand up? Are you still doing that at all? Or I mean, you know, it's funny. I, after the birth of our third daughter, I was mm. like sort of slowed down. And then I was like, I thought, well, of course I'll do stand up in 2020 because it's an election. Right, year. <laughs> right, right, right. right. So, yeah. At, What's going to stop me that year? Yeah, yeah at this, yeah, right. at this point, I'm sort of like, I sort of feel like the athlete is like, did I retire and nobody told me? So yeah. was, I yeah. definitely want to do more stand up and want to get back to stand up. I just sort of don't know what that looks like yet. So, well, it's nice to get to spend time with your young kids, though, too. So yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. W. Kamal Bell, you guys, United Shades of America is going to tackle policing. He solves it. (laughs) Once again, I solve it. Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Uh,